read our passage. It's two verses. It's really short. Uh, Hear these words from the Gospel of John. John 19, verses 29 and 30. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray real quick. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you gather here with us, that where we gather, so there too you are, that you are present and you are near to us in these moments. And I ask and I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us. Come, Holy Spirit, in these moments, consecrate, convict, uh, move within us and allow us to see you rightly, to see you anew, afresh, allow us to see you uh, as you would intend. And we ask and pray that you would be with us through the rest of this day and week and continue to move in our community and in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a verse like 28, or in this small little section, what we're really kind of confronted with is is the carnality, or the creatureliness of Jesus. The creatureliness, the humanness of the cross. It's His humanity is put on display in a statement like, I am thirsty. Thirsting is a a very human thing. It's a very mundane thing, a very simple thing. It's a basic kind of like instinctual thing. If you read a lot about diet and nutrition and water, there's been theories on how much like water you should drink. And after all of these studies and research, a lot of people are like coming to the conclusion that you should drink when you're thirsty. Like your body knows something. It knows when it needs water. Thirst, it it just happens. It's within us. When you're truly thirsty, right? Like almost nothing else can really matter. You can go a really, really long time without food. You can kind of ignore hunger pains. You can go a couple of days without water and the body will begin to shut down. When you're really, really thirsty, it will consume you in a different kind of way. Your your speech no longer works. If you've ever had a long, hot workout or had to do manual labor in Alabama summers, like you've gotten to the point where you are so thirsty, your body will literally begin to shut down just after a few hours. Like this can happen in heat. Like thirst does something to you. It consumes you. Thirst can almost even betray us. It's so basic and instinctual. Jameson and I had the unfortunate pleasure this week of getting what we have called uh, the tummy troubles in our house this week. And we spent uh, an evening throwing up together. It was wonderful and grand. Um, And and so there was this moment where Jameson woke up after being sick all night and poor little dude just like throwing up and crying. And if you've done this, if you've been there, you know you wake up thirsty. Like there's like almost nothing like that. And it'll betray you because everything inside of you wants to chug water. And while I was taking care of Judah, Jameson did just that. And you know where this story goes. Just moments later, we're throwing up again. Because like your thirst will take over. You will do anything to quench it when you have the opportunity to do so. It's that instinctual, basic. It is that creaturely. Like it, it is not, a thirst is not something that is like refined. You sip water when you're not thirsty, when it's kind of there, it's fancy and you need it. 
When you are thirsty, you chug. You will dive face first into a river when you are thirsty. And we see Jesus on the cross to thirst. He's thirsty and he declares it. He cries it out. This is just like Jesus in all of the Gospels. We see this to mix the human with the divine. In this moment, you see Jesus, uh, like, he's revealing himself on the cross. Like, this is almost to the, like, ultimate revelation of who God is. Like, the death is upon us. His words are almost finished. He's been crying these things out from the cross. And then he says he's thirsty. He's mixing this really human, basic thing with this really divine and holy theological moment. And Jesus does this all the time. Later in the gospel accounts, if you know the story, he's resurrected, he meets his disciples, and they see him, and like you think he would have some profound sermon to give. You think he would have some profound saying, like, like here it is all revealed, and he looks at him, and instead of saying anything profoundly theological, he tells him he's hungry. Apparently coming from, back from the dead uh, raises quite the appetite. The humanness and the divine of Jesus is always kind of held perfectly together. And here's the thing. We need a fully human Jesus. For profound, like really wild theological reasons. Uh, Daniel, I actually have a, a slide with this quote on it. But this is from the Middle Eastern Church Father Gregory of Nazianzus. And he says, we need, this is me paraphrasing to set this up, but we need Jesus to be human because what was not, or what has not been assumed cannot be healed or saved. If Jesus is not fully human, then on that moment at the cross, like our full humanity cannot be redeemed. We need him to be human, to be part of the, the created order as we are. Because here's the beautiful story of the gospel is that our full humanity is meant to be redeemed. We and all of our humanness are meant to be redeemed. It's meant to be good. Our humanness is not necessarily inherently wrong in the cross. Because Christ has fully redeemed our humanity. And so we see his humanity on full display. We also need Jesus' full humanity to be understood and to be seen because it's too easy for us to take Christianity and make it something like very ethereal or out there, very philosophical, very nice ideas, to make it platitudes, to make it vague kind of references and guides to live our life. It's really easy to kind of keep Jesus over there, where he's a wise guru or a sage that's really kind of unattainable, but it's, it's good words to live by. It's kind of like, I was trying to think of a good analogy, and for some reason it was making me laugh of like, it'd be like Jimi Hendrix like trying to teach you to play guitar, like when he would just do something crazy that was like never done before, and you'd be like, well, of course, Jimmy, you can do that. You're Jimi Hendrix. Like, I can't play guitar like you. I can't play guitar at all if you've ever met me. Like, I have no rhythm. Like, it's just not, it's not in me. It doesn't come naturally to me. And so it's like good that he would say that. Of course he says that. He's Jimi Hendrix. We like to do that to Jesus. Of course, Jesus, you would do that. You're Jesus. But like, I'm human. 
I'm me. And the beautifulness or the beauty and the profound like nature of the gospel is that Jesus says, yeah, 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 so was I. So much so that I knew thirst. I knew the pains of thirst. I knew the pains of hunger. And so we need Jesus thirsting on, our, on the cross so that we can see our own carnality on the cross and in Christianity. What we oftentimes try to like avoid or get rid of is what Jesus is inviting us to allow to be redeemed to be used for the sake of the kingdom. We see Jesus on the cross redeeming that and displaying his humanity. There's an emotional and a passionate side to Jesus that we oftentimes want to ignore or miss. There's a desperation and a need in Jesus that we oftentimes ignore. Because it's really easy in our culture to say things like, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Or I, I believe in these things because I'm a spiritual being, but I don't really like, you know, do those things. I'm not like that kind of Christian. I'm a spiritual. I believe in Jesus. I'm spiritual. Or I believe in a higher power. I'm spiritual. But when we see Jesus thirsting on the cross, what that forces us to reckon with is that that is a an idea that more is akin, akin to Plato than it is to Scripture. This idea that we could somehow ascend to this like kind of perfect form of existence that is outside of my human needs and desires and wants and instincts. Jesus is saying, no, on the cross, the, the Christian idea is that all of that, your, your responses, your emotions, your excitements, your needs... They are being brought into, and I have redeemed those as well. The former bishop of the Methodist Church here in Alabama, and he's currently a professor at Duke University, says this. He says, most of us long for balance in our lives, equilibrium and a serene contentment. But that is the way of Buddha, not Jesus. And on Jesus' passionate cry on the cross, what we see is that his thirst is a desperation of his creatureliness, of his humanity. And we're being invited to see Jesus as like alongside of us, one of us in that. And I think as humans, we're too quick to want to escape our humanness. We're too quick to want to escape pain, suffering, like, like tension. We're too quick to want to escape things like our finiteness, our inability to control everything. We've talked a lot about it in the last year. COVID is an example of this. It forced us to reckon with our humanness, our finiteness. Sickness or injury forces us to reckon with these things. We are not in control and we have limits. We have boundaries that we can only go so far. And if we exceed those, like our creatureliness will begin to fold and will begin to crumble. We need water and we need food to exist. We have basic needs. We cannot sustain ourselves from within ourselves. We need the help of those around us. We exist because of other human beings choosing to allow us to come into this world, right? 
We never, as human beings, are sustainable within ourselves. And yet, oftentimes, what we are trying to do is figure out ways in which we can sustain ourselves to deny our basic needs. We do this in emotions. If you've been a part of the EHS class, we're talking about this. We want to escape our emotions. We want to learn to manage them and mitigate them. We want to hide from them. We want to run away from them because we don't want to be honest with ourselves about what we're actually feeling, what we're actually thinking or walking through. And yet if Jesus' carnality in a statement like, I am thirsty, is true of our most basic needs in humanity, then what the offer of the gospel in Christianity is that, is that in our emotions, like we're not meant to run from them or hide from them, but God intends to redeem them. We're seeing the emotions of God on the cross through Jesus. And there's an invitation to, to not think that we need to mitigate or minimize those or run from those, but we, we need to learn to live into them in a gospel narrative sort of way. Jesus displays anger, sadness, joy, happiness, frustration, contentment, like all of the emotions that one of us might run through in the gamut of a day, Jesus has experienced and he's saying, I have redeemed those. They are, no, they are not something that you leave out there. It is okay to be an emotional human being. It is okay to be passionate. It is okay to have needs, desires, wants. It's okay to have basic creaturely things. And the promise of the gospel is that the Lord has redeemed those things. He's teaching us a way to live into them that are more true to ourselves than what we oftentimes have thought or imagined. But now simultaneously what I want to say is that we also sometimes and our way of trying to box Jesus out, are oftentimes too quick to over-identify with his humanity. And we reduce him down to merely human, merely one of us. We make him something that is stripped of his divinity and of his authority and of his kingship. And we kind of oscillate between the two extremes as we try to follow him. And what the cross does is it places his full humanity and his full divinity on display and forces us to sit underneath it and reckon with it. Our modern sensibilities really like a very human Jesus that suffered, that, that, that stumbled, that, like on his words and on his emotions and things like this. Like we, we are like, oh yeah, yeah, that's good. See, Jesus was just like me. And we reduce him down. And it pulls the punch of what he's asking of us and of our lives oftentimes. But just as there is a great tension in us, there's a great tension on the cross of what Jesus is displaying for us. He is more than just human and more than over there divine, but he is somehow both at the same time. Now, put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that towards the end of our sermon. But I want to say a few quick things about our passage as we kind of walk through these two verses. First in verse 28. It says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Knowing that everything had been fulfilled, Jesus speaks. And John in his writing, wants to bring clarity to and let us know that this is a fulfillment of Scripture. Now, I want to bring clarity to and bring insight to that I do not think that Jesus was sitting on the cross, dying, quite thirsty, and he goes, hmm, I think what I'll do is I'll quote a psalm right here. 
I don't think he was like, this will make everything kind of come full circle. I think in his passion and in his desperation, he cried out, I am thirsty. And I think it is right and it is good and correct of John to see that and the other witnesses to the gospel to hear him say that and go, do you not see the way that this is fulfilled? In who he is, in his natural kind of responses to what is around him, he naturally fulfills what Scripture had spoken of the Messiah. I think that matters to understand that. Because here's like part of it. If Jesus is just on the cross saying these things to kind of like as a exercise or hoop that he has to jump through, then the cross is a really cruel joke. Like if it's all just kind of metaphor and it has to be done exactly that way, then it's like there's a really, there's a cruelness on God's part there that like it just, I don't think is true of the gospel. I think Jesus genuinely embodies that thirst. And in so doing, he fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. And so I think it matters that we rightly understand that. The second thing that I think is worth kind of mentioning, I'll say this first, just real quick, so I can get two and a half things here. One is that the soldier's response uh, to his thirst can be seen one of two ways. I find this really interesting, so this is an aside, this is the free part. Uh, it can be seen as compassion, or, or, and in John's, kind of the way he talks about it, it seems to be like maybe they were being more compassionate upon him. Uh, in the other Gospels, it's seen much more as like kind of a mocking thing. Like, oh, you're thirsty? Well, here you go. Like, we're, we're going to sort of mock you on the cross. Uh, historically, if you read about the vinegar and the wine uh, that they're talking about here, it was a very cheap drink. But it, it seems historically to be one of the Roman soldiers' like favorite drinks to have out on the battlefield. It wouldn't go bad. It, it would do the job. They would get drunk. It was very cheap, easy to transport and move around with them. Either way, like if that was true, if it was some sort of compassion and they offered them whatever they had, it, if you've ever been really thirsty, a shot of vodka or like something just terrible is like not what you want when you're dying of thirst. And so it's not a kind act. And... In John's way, he also wants to bring highlight to that this does fulfill scripture again. Uh, and so for whatever reason it may be. But I think if we get uh, too focused on that, which is what I wanted to do for like a whole day this week, we get lost on the uh, kind of what the theological movement of these short two verses would be. And that's that there's a humanness and a rawness to Jesus in this moment that like we're being forced to kind of sit under. There's a vulnerability and a need that is on display at the cross. And as I've already alluded to, there's a tension in Jesus of how we see him, how we see what's happening. As I said, it can't be mere metaphor. This is John's gospel after all. So it's not Jesus pretending to be thirsty to fulfill scripture. It's Jesus actually thirsting and yet what we know in John, if this is John's gospel, is thirsting is like a theological point that he comes back to again and again throughout his gospel. If you think of John 4 and the woman at the well, he meets this woman there. and She's drawing water and he says, anyone that would drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. And so we're forced to sort of reckon with what is it, what does it mean that the one who can offer water and never thirst is thirsty? 
How, how do these two things kind of hold together? In keeping with John's themes, as this is the, sort of like we're at the penultimate moment of John's gospel here. Following along with it, John is the same gospel author that gives us the seven I am statements of Jesus. And these are profound statements of him revealing his divinity to those that are within earshot. I am the way, the truth, the light. I am the bread, the water, the good shepherd. And I think John sneaks in one more little last I am that we often miss, like an eighth little bonus I am. Jesus says, I am thirsty. He does so to see those divine characteristics of Jesus held with this human one, but I also think that this in and of itself is a divine statement. Jesus saying, I am thirsty, is a divine revelation. Not because God thirsts for water in the way that you and I do, but because God thirsts for us. He thirsts for justice and righteousness. He thirsts to see all made right. thirst to see us be redeemed, to be brought back to him. John wants us to hear one last I am statement, to see Jesus' full incarnation on display. It's really tempting, as I was talking about at the beginning for us, I, I think the mistake we make when we kind of do the thing with Jesus that we do is we want to say, okay, well, Jesus was either human or Jesus was God. Or somehow what we do is we kind of go, okay, I know that that's not good Christian theology, even though practically we live that out. So we think that Jesus is maybe 50% human and 50% God. He is both. And so there's these moments in Scripture where he's sort of taking his human hat on and off, and he's taking his divine hat on and off. But the profound mystery of the gospel and of the incarnation is that he is somehow 100% human and 100% divine at all times. And so when he says something like, I am thirsty, it is a divine statement and a human statement together, and we cannot separate it. As we discuss what it means to be a mystery, I want to recall something that I quoted in the first sermon in this series from Stanley Hauerhouse. It says, mystery is that which we know, but the more we know, the more we are forced to rethink everything we know. Thinking of Jesus as 100% divine and 100% human is not unthinkable. It just simply means that when we begin to grasp and wrestle with that and sit under a statement of Jesus like, I am thirsty, and see it as both a divine statement and a human statement, it forces us to begin to rethink and reckon with everything we understand about who God is. We so often easily miss God because we're looking for God to be something either over there or that looks just like us. And Jesus says, no, I am I'm me. And I'm both. And I'm everything all at the same time. And you have to kind of take me for me. You don't get to pick and choose who I am. I am devastatingly near to you. And yet I am wholly other. And we see that on the cross in a statement like, I am thirsty. We again are placing ourselves at the foot and hearing from Jesus and what he would have for us. To see anew, to see right, to see him for who he is. 
to see Jesus fully human and fully God incarnate, understanding our pain and our suffering, and to look to our salvation in Him. And in so doing, it gives us the eyes to begin to look at the pain and the suffering of the world around us and to see it as obscene and tragic. It is only an incarnate God that would allow you with your eyes to look upon the injustice of the world and see it for what it is. I think this is one of the great truths of the movement that we find ourselves in. If the church can do this correctly and do this well, there are so many people that see the pain and the suffering in the world and are going, why? And the church is going, we have an answer and a solution. It is the eyes of Jesus that allows us to see why that is so unjust and unholy. Because it takes a God that was fully human, that understands the pain and the suffering and what it means to thirst and to be cursed upon a tree, to allow us to see that as wrong. Our Western minds shouldn't really care. We should just make more money, you know, like just go after it. But we can't. Because there's something in us that is put there by who God is, and God is on the cross doing this thing. And we're invited to come and see this from his eyes. On the cross, we see that Jesus is not just thirsting for a drink, but we see him thirsting for us and for our humanity. As he himself is embodying that humanity, we see him thirst for justice and righteousness. And the most carnal and physical cry we hear from his lips on the cross, we see the most divine heart of God revealed. In scripture, thirst is always for more than water. Jesus is displaying a deep thirst to see the will of God done here on earth as it is in heaven. A holy thirst that was only quenched by the complete and utter surrender of his own life. It's here that the mystery of the incarnation just overwhelms us. And instead of trying to explain it away, we would be best to just kind of sit in awe and glory and wonder of what it means that in his own thirsting, he quenched the thirst of all of creation and humanity. He does so by being intensely and unreservedly near to us and yet remaining God the entire time. And he tells his disciples shortly before this that there's a cup that is coming that only I can drink. They want to drink it with him. And he says, no, 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 there's only a cup that I can drink. He drinks of this cup and he quenches this thirst that all of creation has. But I think that there's a way that we miss what's happening on the cross when we miss the mystery of this incarnation. Here, where Jesus in his humanness is dwelling among us. In his nearness, he's doing the very thing that only God can do. The Trinity is held together here on the cross, Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's on the cross by the Spirit of God that Jesus is thirsty in his humanness and is thirsting in the heart of the Father for humanity and for creation. 
God's thirst for justice and righteousness is on full display in the simultaneous event that God is thirsty for real water. They're held together, and so too is our life meant to be held together. It's why we fight for social justice and inequalities. It's why things like Flint, Michigan should grieve our souls when whole cities go because they're not really looked highly upon. And it's why our heart should break when we look at people that have more water to drink than they could ever dream of or imagine, and yet they are thirsty deep in their hearts because there's something in them that only God can satisfy. We fight for both. We're invited to come and to participate in the work of both. We're invited to come and to see it as God, and we're invited to come and to participate with him. And we thirst as we long, as we hunger. We learn that it is God's work on the cross that the thirst of our very own hearts are met. The longings, the restlessness, and the desires of our very own individual humanity are met and fulfilled at the cross. And it is only in Him, in His drinking of the cup of the blood and the sacrifice of on the cross in that moment when he drinks and faces death in the eye and he defeats it and redeems it, that it is in only that that our own individual thirst and hunger can be met. This is the imagery that we're given in communion. As the band comes back up, I want to bring attention to the imagery that we're given at the end of Scripture. In Revelation, there's a picture of a river of life flowing through the city of God. A river of unquenchable love and desire. For us, a river supplied by the agony and thirst of God on the cross. I'll say that line again. There is a river of unquenchable love and desire that is flowing for us that is only supplied by the agony and thirst of God and Jesus on the cross. So as the band begins to play, as we begin to think about what it means to come to the table and to see and receive these elements, to come thirsty and longing, we think about what it means to have our humanness redeemed. C.S. Lewis says this about desire, essentially. He says it's not that we don't have, but that like we're really bad people. It's that we're so inoculated, we have no sense of need or desire for who God is and his goodness. It's a Jonathan Miller paraphrase of it. I think that's so true. We don't know what it means to be emotional, to be excited, to be passionate about things, to thirst for righteousness and justice, to thirst for goodness. Yet we're invited to in this moment as we come to the table. We come to the cup and the bread. We come hungry and we come thirsty for what the Lord would have for us. We come acknowledging those deep needs in our own creatureliness and how it is met and redeemed at the cross. So come and receive the water of life. Come to the cross, to the blood. Come and receive the bread and the cup. Take the bread and eat, as it is that which is broken for us.
for our sustenance and provision. Take the cup that is the blood and the sacrifice poured out for our sins and our forgiveness. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, that you are good. That these words can continue to be true. The Lord God, um, yeah, that we all have longings, desires, that there's something um, profoundly nagging at most of us at most times. There's a restlessness, that there's a thirst, there's a hunger for something. And we ask and pray, Lord God, that in these moments that you would meet us here and that you would be good to reveal to it, it, us now how it is that you would long to quench that thirst, that hunger, that desire that is deep within us. And we thank you, Lord, that you have done that work for us, that it is in the cross that we've already received.